Hey everybody, a timely episode today. We'll talk with Chris Childs and Bethany Boyd, who just got back from the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, Nevada. We talked through their observations and takeaways from the largest technology conference in the United States, including some useful and not so useful innovations. Enjoy. So the annual Consumer Electronics Show, big deal in Las Vegas in early January. You guys, uh, you guys just got back last week. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, you can take some time to chat with us uh, about what you saw at CES and why CES matters to you. Yeah. Chris, you want you, you want to? Yeah, wanna CES was. This was my first time going to CES in Vegas, so it was it was a lot of fun. It was a very crazy environment with so many people in one city and in one um at one event so there was a lot going on but it was fun to see all of the new technology that's coming out all of the new um where things are going in terms of the, the products and where the companies are going you're like how am i ever going to accomplish all this yeah and you yeah. want to spend some time talking to all the people yeah. and figuring out where their products are going <laughs> and what they're doing but uh you can't do that a hundred thousand times, right? So right. you got to pick and choose what's important and try to find out what's most meaningful to you or to you for the reason that you're going. There's a lot. Yeah. Well, full disclosure, I did spend a day at CES this year myself, so I'll, I'll try and sprinkle a little I bit. I saw of you in the massage chairs. Uh, yeah. I knew that massage chair. Can I tell you honestly? Fourteen miles. Fourteen miles. I walked in my yeah. one day at yeah. the Consumer Electronics yeah. Show. So good for me. Yes. And my feet needed you. that yeah. massage, Chris. Oh, yeah. Don't fault me that. <laughs> Trying to convince OST we should get some of those massage chairs. I think so, that'd be a good idea. For for our listeners, though, what's the point of CES? What's the purpose? What 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 sorts of things broadly do you do you think CES? I feel speaks like, to. I feel like the purpose is for. Um, awareness a little bit for big companies or even you know small startups if they have a new concept or a new idea this is like the world stage to show it off but it's also um we were chris and i were talking a little bit this morning about um a lot of the like robotics technology um lg's booth a lot of the products that they were showing were like two years old and it's part of it that two years ago it was conceptual and now we're seeing sort of the evolution of concept to reality or yeah i think that's that's a big part of it especially with lg um one of the things that they showed off this year was like their foldable tv and they showed that off last year as a concept but this year they're ready to put it out into market and and they released pricing and release dates and all of that stuff so it is like a way to show off what is what are they working on and also, what are they releasing today? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of ideas becoming reality then. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to use CES as a chance to make sure this thing we're working on as a concept resonates with the marketplace. Right. Mm-hmm. And then also, we're going to help to bring that to market over the course of the next mm-hmm. uh, couple of years. Did you see that that repeated across multiple people? Or are we just singling out LG? Or No, I think that was across the board. I think a lot of companies were using it as a way to get market research, try to figure out what customers are interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the larger companies, especially because they had so much, like LG, Samsung, Sony, um, they they had many different products across many different industries. So they're showing off everything. What's real from that is still up for debate and still up sure. for them to execute on. Mm-hmm. But um, I think just putting everything out there, seeing what resonates with people is kind of where CES is going, it feels like, mm-hmm. versus a way to say, 
versus a product announcement convention, which I think it was historically. I'm with you. I'm with you. So I want to. I know you guys brought some thoughts about some some big takeaways from CES. Before we get into that, though, uh, I want to ask you: um, Why do I want a foldable TV? What's the what's the use case for a foldable TV? I think it kind of goes back to that whole conceptual piece. Everybody is ideating and they're you know brainstorming the next cool thing and what's going to be the future. And so they bring these prototypes and they show them off to the public and then they get feedback like, is this cool? Is this useful? Or can we see how we can take this technology that we've thought of and we've kind of put some work into and integrate it maybe into something else? Um, yeah, it's a, a good point, especially with a foldable TV. I don't know that everyone's going to buy a foldable TV in their house. Maybe they will in 10 years, but seeing that technology being used in phones and in laptops, sure. I think that's mm -hmm. where they're showing off they can do this, but then other companies are taking that and using it in different ways. And the yeah. market's kind of taking that where the market wants to take it. Yeah. Yeah. I did see a lot of foldable things at mm -hmm. CES. I mm -hmm. don't know if that made your list or not, but it definitely did yeah. yeah yeah foldable screens yep foldable laptops foldable phones all of that stuff was a big big piece of it yeah. and i couldn't help but think it was real cool but it just seemed needless yeah there. yeah for sure well and then there was also i don't know <clears throat> if you picked up on this i i went to some of the um the like family section in tech west and i was looking at like all the robotics toys for kids and um there was a lot of talk about like pulling kids away from screens. And so incorporating like a phys physical product that talked with like a phone or a device in order to like get kids back out into reality. But then, oh, sure. <laughs> so we're talking about that for kids. And then you look at LG and they're releasing this foldable smartphone that's got three screens and multitasking and you can do stuff faster. And, and it's like, okay, so, that's two different sides of the spectrum here. We're talking about pulling ourselves away from screens, but then you're also releasing these products that get us more involved in like hyper, like hyper to-do lists. Maybe, maybe that's both though. Maybe that's how can I both encourage you to take time away from your screen and make the most of the moments you spend with your screen. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. true. I can see that. But yeah. that's a whole marketing position, right? Like, right, right. How do you, here's this technology how do you make it fit into your life in a healthy way, I guess? Yeah. I think that's a big part of what we're still trying to figure out across the industry is how does technology fit into our daily lives? And as you know, phones have become more intelligent and we need to keep them on us at all times, how do we get away from those but still have access to that technology and have access to that data and have access to what's beneficial from that technology, but not being addicted to it. Mm -hmm. I think we're still trying to figure that out as an industry, and you could see that at CES, yeah. especially with a lot of the digital health products that were starting to come out, um, mm. that were starting to provide ways for people to capture information about how they're using technology or capture ways in, way they, in a way that they can provide um, more healthy ways to use technology, but still giving them a way to kind of get away from that technology, uh -huh. such as like wearables, where they're not necessarily staring at a phone, but they've got it on them all day long, and then they could track it when they need to. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah, there were a lot of 
digital health products that were, <clears throat> there were a lot of wearables. Um, but then also things like uh, a like urinary monitor for like older adults. It, it was like you put this thing on you and it like tracks when you have to go to the bathroom or whatever. So like preventing accidents. And so, mm -hmm. so all these things that are designed to like huh. make our lives easier it, it feels like a lot of stuff like a lot of clutter like you need this for this and this for this and this for this but then right then i end up having like 17 things. wearable devices mm -hmm. on to monitor when i need to pee and whether or not i'm hungry and right right when i need to sleep and whether or not i've gotten enough exercise and when i need to stand and synchronizing with my desk and yeah suddenly i'm just a i'm walking i'm a walking android right? yeah exactly but then at the same time you see companies who are investing in fabric with sensors built into them so you don't even know that you're wearing the technology mm -hmm. but it's there and it's always tracking you and it's from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed and even while you're sleeping um, it's always there and always tracking you and we get that data as consumers and we can use that but companies mm -hmm. are getting that data as well which leads into a lot of implications that i think companies are still trying to figure out around security and privacy and what does that mean, especially with healthcare information. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, let's just delve into one area in particular. Um, I know there was a lot of stuff at CES around um, automotive, uh, mobility, uh, and that sort of, in that sort of space. It seemed like it was maybe a, a focus, intentional or otherwise at, at CES. Did you, do you have thoughts oh, yeah. on that? Did you pick up on that trend too? Yeah. Again, we're getting into a very conceptual space. And I, the way I felt was um, companies are like throwing stuff against the wall and seeing if it sticks. Okay, um, sure. There was so, like, we can talk about transportation in terms of smart cities. We can talk about automotive in terms of driverless cars and um, like fleets of driverless cars that, that are delivering products to your door or the BMW one where you just sit in the passenger seat and you know go along for the ride, basically. Mm -hmm. um, but then also other like personal mobility devices like that Segway chair that you just sit in and it rolls you around. Oh, I saw about that in the movie WALL-E. Yes, <laughs> yeah, right, and then our society fails. So that's wonderful. I, I bet that's not Segway's goal for right. society to fail, but uh, but I did find it interesting. I couldn't yeah. help but think they borrowed some design styling from, from WALL-E and oh, yeah. made me wonder why. At the very least, they got some attention from it. But yeah. I suppose that's true. Yeah, yeah for sure. Now, I rode in the BMW driverless car that you? you just sit in the back seat and you have like a little table next to you and a place to put your feet up. And I couldn't help but think, luxurious as it was, that yeah. it was pointless. I, I couldn't see why I would ever invest in a BMW that drove itself and had room for only one passenger. Exactly. It seemed short-sighted to me, but but I think they were playing around in the space, right? Yeah. They were saying, right. look at what's possible. Yeah. Yep. And then you could even take that further, like Bethany said, into the smart city area. If yeah, tell me about that. BMW is using that vehicle in a smart city and it's picking you up from your home and dropping you off at work and then going and picking Bethany up at home and dropping her off at work and then picking me up at home, dropping me off at work. That car is used for three different people in that scenario. Yeah, that's fascinating. Mm -hmm. But so rather than you owning your own car, me owning my own car, Bethany owning her own car, we all have a single car that we share. But I think cars, people are starting to realize or companies are starting to realize that there is 
people still want that ownership. They still want to feel like they have some way of connecting with their, their car in a way. So they're thinking about how, how can I help the user personalize this to their needs so that you're not feeling like you're sitting in a taxi cab every morning when you get into a car. Right, That's a, and that's a fascinating thing really because there's so much to unpack there. It would be easy to say as a theorist or a consultant that the idea of transportation as a service is where we're headed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's that personalization, that sense of ownership is so uh, read into how we think of what it is to be successful. Yeah. That's the American way. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. A house with a two-stall garage, right? Mm -hmm. What do I need a two-stall garage for if transportation is a service that I use? Yeah. Mm. And how how do we solve for that? Yeah. I think that's where companies are starting to explore and trying to figure out like, is it the lighting that people can personalize? Is there an app on their phone where they can control, they hop into a car and the temperature's just right, or they feel like it's at at their home even though it's not actually their car. Yeah, yeah, so when they get into it, they have an experience that feels tailored to them even though it's a car that also picked up Chris before it picked up me. Right, right, Right. Yep. yep. So talk to me a little bit um, about about the, the Segway chair. I'm fascinated by this only because I think you're right. Maybe it was a marketing thing. We'll get some attention. We'll demonstrate that Segway is more than just that company that made those cool scooters a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but I couldn't get my head around anything other than that it was a completely uh, bold marketing ploy and nothing more. Yeah. Is this a, is this a real thing? Is this a part of the future of smart cities that people are going to have little little robo chairs that drag them around? I feel like it's more for, um, it's less for able-bodied people and more for the disabled. Um, where there was another company, um, I forget the name of it, but uh, they created this wheel, this autonomous wheelchair for airports. And so um, when we were flying into Vegas, I saw this a lot where there was an airport employee um, pushing around a person in a wheelchair, taking them wherever they needed to go. But this wheelchair created by this company um, uses like sensors with, that are around the airport to guide this autonomous wheelchair through. So a person gets off their airplane, the chair is waiting for them, and they, it takes them to baggage claim, it takes them to wherever they need to go. And so that saves the airport resources, but then it also is a pretty good experience for the person in the wheelchair because they feel... Uh, you know, less dependent on somebody else. Like they right. can get to where they need to be. And so I feel like for the Segway chair, it's the same kind of concept where that's not for me, but for somebody who needs a wheelchair, they could ride around like the sidewalks or whatever in style and yeah. comfort, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, restoring autonomous mobility. Yes, to, yeah, to, for sure. You know, maybe people who feel like that's denied. Yeah, and um, there, I know there's been a lot of talk with like the scooter sharing, like you go to Detroit, you can just pick up a scooter wherever you Sure, you Minneapolis too. Yeah. Just drop it off in the street. Yeah, right. Well, there that's an issue too. But <laughs> but also um, for people with limited mobility, they're like, I can't use that. Like, that's great for you. You have right. two legs and you can push around on that, but that's useless for me. And so with something like the Segway chair or something like this autonomous wheelchair, providing those options for people um, is going to 
is going to open up the door for for everybody to be able to use those services. Sure, sure. So that's what a else? Really good you, point. Oh. The other thing that I I would just add to that in terms of how Segway might be approaching that is a way to test out sort of their robotics, their AI systems within a personal mobility device. Mm-hmm. So um, aside from like the larger auto manufacturers testing their autonomous vehicles, how can they use that technology on a personal device? So how can that, uh, that uh, chair that they released take you from point A to point B without you having to steer it move it yeah. forward or do anything really just sit in it and you, you go yeah so that's not where they're at yet but it's a way for them to put that out there and test it is that does that in your mind connect to sort of the idea of a smart city yeah mm-hmm. for sure I, I mean there's a whole element of machine learning and ai there that every new device that's coming online that's tracking location which to a certain extent can be scary when we're talking about it like that but Every data point coming in is going to make smart cities a, a more real thing. Hmm. Where um, if you can get to point A, from point A to point B, without having to input it in your GPS, say like I want to go here, and it could be a specific restaurant, it could be you know something specific in a mall, and it knows exactly where to go. And so I think that's where we're talking hmm. about location tracking and all those things that are kind of scary. It's just a lot of data gathering to Mm -hmm. make things easier in the future. Yeah. One of the interesting things that I saw, uh, I think it was from Bosch, they were exploring autonomous vehicles was how do you use that autonomous vehicle in multiple ways? Like you mentioned delivering packages, but they had a, a concept where it was a vehicle that picked somebody up in the morning and drop them off at work, let's say. But then in the afternoon, it was taking packages and delivering packages in the same vehicle. So that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it begins to kind of like the question about like how these vehicles can be used in multiple ways. um, So that I think over time within smart cities, we start to see fewer and fewer of these vehicles being used like we do today. And what does that mean for streets, garages, all of those things? Really, the the landscape of the city, as we understand it, right. is yeah. built around the notion that people drive cars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep, for sure. Huh. So let's carry that down a level. So uh, how does this relate to my home? What do you see in the sort of home space? One of the biggest things, I think with a clear implication between like smart cities and smart home is um, air quality. We saw Mm. a lot of air quality products for your home. I could see that also integrating into, you know, a city that is capturing air quality data and sending that to, and I, and I know that already exists, you know, we we're we're measuring air quality in bigger cities where there's an air quality event in your city and your home air quality system is tracking that then it pumps up you know the fan speed or whatever on your air purifiers and helps keep your home safe in in response to an outside event yeah so so i think that connection is pretty clear that's sort of a smart home as a resident of a smart city yes and there's similar uh, aspects in terms of like water Mm -hmm. quality so one of the devices that i think it was an honoree at ces was a device used for a smart city so that um, 
it would be put on a water pipe system under the street and mm -hmm. it could turn off the water if there was a leak so it would turn off water to multiple houses at the same time there were companies like Moen and Kohler who came out with devices that you would put in your home so if you had a leak let's say in your washer or on your sink you flip the it automatically flips a switch on that for your home yeah. so long term maybe those things like air quality become connected and so if there's a smaller leak they is that just about water. leaking or did you see some exploration of water quality i can't help but think and maybe it's just because i live in michigan yeah mm -hmm. that trying to look at water quality is something a, a smart connected device could do mm -hmm. yeah absolutely i think that could be used in the same way where it starts to automatically divert water based on how the pipes are deteriorating, right. deteriorating or how quality is within those pipes like if there is lead they can change or reroute reroute or shut down or yeah. at least alert right yeah. right yep. right in yeah. some cases just knowing about it is valuable mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. i think i think for smart homes there was a lot of focus on uh integrating entirely so mm. like full ecosystem full ecosystem so adt uh, you know they wanted to be in every room of your house it was like we're going to protect everything going back to air quality you know what what device is in every room that can report on every room of your house um, and you know from personal air purifiers to plugs in your wall that are you know transmitting data all the time we want to become so integrated and know everything about our home and then at the same time we want to we want to strip back and you know we want our experience to be seamless and yeah. it's just an interesting juxtaposition of here's everything but only show me, like, make my experience smooth. Like, mm -hmm. I want all mm -hmm. of these things. I want all of this complexity in my house, but I don't want to feel like it's complex. And I think that's the constant, like, push and pull that we're feeling. Right, right. In, in the smart home space, I think that's definitely true. Mm -hmm. Can I tell you, I, I was struck by exactly what you just said, that I saw ADT and others who were showing their solution to a fully integrated home and I couldn't help but think that, rationally speaking, that's never going to happen. I'm going to buy the individual pieces that I like and look for some integration that mm -hmm. enables those all to work. And I didn't, I didn't see that. I kept waiting. I kept expecting that I would turn a corner and they'd be like, no, 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 like BASF used to say. No, 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 we don't make anything. We just make all the things you have talk to each other. Yeah. Like, that's the thing I wanted to see and didn't. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because traditionally, like home security companies uh, like ADT or Brink or whatever, they would come in and they would install everything that you needed, right? So your front door, your back door, window sensor, that right. was part of the service that would come in and secure your home. And now when we shifted away from um, the, you know, buying a complete service for home security into you can do it yourself. All you need is this thing and all right. you need is that thing. And so people felt a little bit more empowered to do it themselves. And I wonder I how that plays out. One of the challenges that we're starting to see is that organizations want to own the home. They want to have yeah. their devices in every room, but do consumers actually want that is the question. And at this point, I think we're, we're saying probably not consumers want choice they want to be able to pick and choose what's important to them mm -hmm. without right. having a single single hub or single like manufacturer across their home yeah it'll be interesting to see how that plays out right because yeah. i'm gonna 
get a ring doorbell because that's the doorbell I like. And then yeah. I'm going to look for some way to integrate that into my home, whatever yeah. my home system is. Exactly. Right. And that's where you're starting to see uh, companies like Amazon and Google. They have their interface, their voice interface or their app that you're using. But then they're buying up these smaller companies like Ring and like Google buying Nest right. where consumer can still have their choice of ring or euro or another company but then interface with it through alexa yeah through google home but at the same time in that case amazon is still at its core owning your home yeah but you feel like you have choice uh <laughs> perception of choice yeah, that's a fascinating right. way to look at it yeah i couldn't help but think am i just waiting for all of the smaller companies to get bought by the right big company and then i'll get the integration i seek mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is counterintuitive since what I started with as my premise is I don't want some big company to just come right. in and own yeah. it all. It's, yeah. a, it's an interesting thing. Yeah, like you said, it adds more complexity to it also in terms of privacy as well because yeah. now you have multiple companies who are managing your data. And what does that mean if, if a company like Ring has a breach and your data's out there? Mm -hmm. um, what does that mean? What does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean for our safety and security? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The implications are much bigger in a yeah. smart home. Oh, yeah. I think we were starting to see that as a big theme at CES, is privacy and security as a whole, yeah. um, especially with how companies like Amazon, Apple, Google are starting to put that into their marketing as a way for consumers to feel comfortable using those products. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we were kind of talking this morning about how like growing up in the time period that we grew up and having all these movies talk about like, oh, robotics taking over the world. The robot apocalypse, it's my favorite topic. Yes, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, like I am a little averse to a lot of these things, but at the end of the day, if we want our lives to be more seamless and automated and we want these smart cities, smart homes, mm -hmm. we have to give a little bit. And I think if, if we kind of would transition into talking about robotics a little bit, um, yeah. there was a robot vacuum um, that I spent some time with their booth that they have advanced navigation and so they can make a smarter map of your home and get around it in a more efficient way but it's also including a 1080p camera on it and it's positioning itself as part home security part better navigation but what does that mean for uh, the camera aspect of it and how secure is your server right. who is able to hack into my robot and look through and now my can see home it, right you know every room of my house yes so yeah i want my robot back to get back to the dock easier and quicker and i want my home to be vacuumed in a more efficient and thorough way but at what cost other things you saw in the robotic space one of the, the big things in robotics that we did see was a lot of older manufacturing companies like john deere brunswick makes boats um those companies had a big showing in the robotics and AI space because I think they're starting to realize how the, their companies can change based on using that technology. So, okay, can I be honest with you? Maybe. I saw that that like twenty or thirty foot long John Deere arm mm -hmm. that was AI controlled, and I couldn't help but think, this is how humanity dies. <laughs> <laughs> Like, and they're just tiny little, little drones. Scary, they aren't yeah. so scary, but yeah. when it's like a thirty-foot-long giant metal thing that a yeah. robot's controlling, I think, oh, it won't even realize it's killing me. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know. It won't even realize it's running me over and cutting my arm. But some really cool stuff. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. 
So let me ask you this, as, as we um, wrap up, what was, the, what was the coolest thing you saw? Give me, give me your answer. What's the coolest thing you saw? I'll say mine. The induction, inductive cooktop was amazing. Like a TV, you could watch like recipe videos on it and then uh-huh. cook right to the left of it. Then they had the booth that we were at had hot spots on the countertop that you could like charge your phone on or heat your coffee. And it was just very integrated and useful. It was like one of the most useful things I saw. I mean, speaking as someone who spends a lot of time in my kitchen, I, I like to cook. It's one of my hobbies. The kitchen of the future was super exciting to me. Oh, I was yeah. like, oh yeah, this is exactly what I want in my next house. I'll never have those things, yeah. probably. But, yeah. But I'm with you. Right. I'm with you. Yeah. I think that was very similar for me. I mean, one of the cooler things that I saw that wasn't, it feels more realistic, like I can actually buy this thing, was the uh, Keurig drink maker. Oh my gosh, that was so good. <laughs> it's It wasn't anything yeah. mind-blowing or crazy out there in terms of technology, but just making your life easier. <laughs> so you get one of those for your house then? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, no, I, I actually wanted it for the office. I think that would be a really <laughs> yeah. good investment. That's what I said about the massage chair, too. Yeah. Yes. Okay, what about um, what, other side of the coin? What's the wackiest thing you saw? This thing you saw and you thought, wait, what? Wait, that that's not real. Is that, what am I seeing? Did you have one of those? There were so many smart kitty litter boxes. <laughs> the technology there isn't great enough to like sense when the cat's in or out. Yeah, that, that whole that whole space makes me uncomfortable and I'll tell you why. Because I'm an early adopter, it's just the way I am. So I bought a smart kitty litter box okay. for my kids' cats like five years ago. Yeah. And the, the cats would get out of the litter box when a cat used the litter box, the cat would get out of the litter box. And then like we go <laughs> and this little motor would crank up and it would yeah. skin the kid. And like seriously, 48 hours after I got the thing, my cats wouldn't use the litter box anymore because okay. they were terrified of it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, well, this is the case where the technology got ahead of the need. Didn't yeah, it? for sure. And not to mention they're ginormous. Oh yeah. They're yeah. massive. What about you, Chris? Did you see anything that wacky? Anything made you say? I think we spent some time in the the startup floor, which was a lot of new companies putting their ideas out there, um, looking for investment and other things. And there was this small little doll, robotic doll, with a massive camera on its head. And yes. we specifically searched it out because we saw some articles on it, and it was just the strangest thing. I, it was a three thousand dollar robotic doll that with a giant camera on its head. Giant yeah. camera on its head, and honestly, it was a little bit scary. <laughs> <laughs> but you could dress it, so yeah, you could put new yeah, clothes on it if you want it. to. Yeah. I mean, that is the primary purpose of a doll, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. There were a couple executions of that along the same vein of like the robotic dog that could be a companion for older adults. So in those use cases, I find. I find those technologies to be useful and, and necessary, but um, a robot as a companion, for me, goes a little bit too far in terms of human relationships. Yeah, but I hear what you're saying. Though I also have to, I just have to comment that I'm an early adopter, so I got my kids a robot dog. My kids are now 19 and 21. When my child was, my youngest was two, is when Sony came out with a generation one Ibo yeah. robot dog. And I was like, yes, I'm going to raise my kids with a robot companion. <laughs> it took literally four months before um, my daughter had pulled, uh, broken Ayabo's neck and pulled off one of the ears because just it wasn't durable enough to yeah, survive right. being a family right. pet. So you're an early adopter, but it sounds like the things that you early adopt don't pan out super great. <laughs> you know, somebody's got to discover what doesn't work. Yeah, and, hey you know, man, we appreciate to, you. I will say I'm a bit of an early adopter as well, and I think 
one point from that that I think you get is you start to see what's important from those devices. Oh, sure. So you can make yeah. a better choice in the future. So right, I know what to look for in a robot right. vac or in a um, robot kitty litter cleaner, for or instance. Robot it's got to be quiet. Yeah, and it has to have some delay from the time the cat's done with their business to the time <laughs> that it, it starts up. <laughs> Or not to freak the cats out. Right. That's right. So how do you think this, um, I'm glad you said that, Chris. How do you think this impacts what, what you're going to do tomorrow and next week and next month for OST and their clients? I think for me it brings uh, different perspectives in where the market is going that we can bring to our clients and make better decisions, whether that's if they're in an exploratory phase and they want to see or try out what's cool. Sure. We could help provide some of that insight. Or if they're in more of an execution phase where they're trying to get a product out there, we can help them make better decisions on what's most important because we're seeing what's working and what's not working. Absolutely. Yep. A lot of the clients that I've worked with, they've done an iteration or two. They found things that haven't worked or, the, or it has failed completely. And then they come to us and say, here's what we know, help us do better. And right. we're really good in that space. That's where I like to sit, like, okay, learn from what you did and let's make it better. And I think we can do that for, for a lot of companies. Mm -hmm. Great, okay, one last question. Yes. Uh, I'm fascinated by games. Also, this used to be a game factory, this building we're sitting in. Uh, what, what are you playing? What's the game you're playing right now? Um, it's not new, but we just bought Catan. Oh, Yes. all right, all right, great game. Settlers of Catan, sure. Yes. And sure. there was, well, so Ticket to Ride. Have you ever played Ticket to Ride? Sure. Okay, so that was in the Alexa booth because it's now like an Alexa voice assistant enabled. Experience. Yes, you can't hear me rolling my eyes, yes, but I'm familiar. I know. So there were those. And I was like, okay, my family loves to play Ticket to Ride. Would this be like the, like the next level of right. playing Ticket to Ride? But we'll see. Excellent. Excellent. What are you playing, Chris? So I have two young kids, so we're, we're all about the... The original classic game so we're starting to get my son into Candyland. last night oh, we played nice. bingo so oh, okay oh, all, right. so all of these little fun nice. games oh, going old yeah. school yeah hoping to bring in mousetrap soon nice just get some of those games from my childhood no, i'm not even analog. making this up but there is a there is a fully immersive vr Candyland. have you seen this i have not yeah yeah it's like Candyland, but you play it with vr goggles on and you're actually in Candyland. that's Ooh. so crazy yeah. well thank you both for spending some time with me talking about about ces this is great fun for me and really informative i'm sure it helped our listeners too yeah, yeah thanks thank for you us. ost changing how the world connects together for more information go to ostusa.com slash podcast